0: Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the Unfiltered Pediatric Dentistry Podcast.
1: So actually the, the okay, we're going. The first formal question I had was you had mentioned when we were talking about with it being Mardi Gras and everything, the drinks you had, you started, I think you said something about a bourbon barrel ale or something. And, and I poured a whiskey tonight, but are you a bourbon and baby teeth guy?
0: I, you know, I have never been, I'm about three hours East of Louisville. Um, but, uh, I'm thinking about checking it out soon. Actually, uh, I've just been out of the loop.
1: No, you're good. I just figured being a Kentucky—I don't know if you're a Kentucky native, but all these Kentucky guys seem to love their whiskey. Uh, born and bred here in the—I'm in the a- Appalachian in the mountains, really away from everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, I'm going with coffee tonight. Oh, that's fair. Tell me, tell me more about it. You know, normally I start these podcasts off just learning a little bit more about you know, the practice and kind of your professional background and things, but you're apparently native to the area. But tell me more about, I guess, where you went to school and did you set up shop? Did you do a startup? What's what's your career looked like thus far?
0: Yeah, I went to dental school at University of Kentucky, um, graduated in 94. Then I did my PED residency at LSU. So I got to spend a couple of years in uh, New Orleans. So that's how I kind of knew Mardi Gras is going on now. (laughs) <laughs> right, and I finished that in '96, and I actually opened up my practice two weeks after finishing my residency. Wow! So uh, we had a spot open, and I was faxing plans back and forth during the last six months of my residency. So I opened up from scratch.
1: That's a a dying thing now. I I still get Facebook messages from guys that pull it off, but the number of people that can pull that off out of residency—I mean, it seems like normally to between student loans and just. It's just the, the corporate nature of things. It's you don't see a lot of people doing a scratch start two weeks out of residency. It's usually associate for six, 12 to 12 months and then hit it. But uh, kudos to you. Sounds like things have gone well since opening up. Sounds like you guys are staying busy and everything's been good since then. It near 27. So we, the building
0: we opened up in, we was there about 12 years. And then uh, we built a 6,500 square foot office about three blocks away and been there here for about 13 years. So been within 500 yards of the same place for 27 years, which nice. is
1: actually about five blocks from where I grew up. So it's a, uh, it's home. Sure. Well, that helps with growing a startup too. You know, the people that seem to do the best in a startup situation seem to just really crush it when they start up in an area that they're from or have a family connection because people know who they are, especially, I mean, I don't, you might tell me a little bit more about what your demographics are like if you're kind of in a more rural area, it sounds like, but if that's the k- combination, like rural like one of the only pediatric dentists and it's your hometown. It seems like those people can really like really hammer a startup really successfully.
0: The, the population of Allen, Kentucky is 750. That's 200 (laughs) more than when I started, when I started, uh, 27 years ago. So, uh, yeah, it's worked out pretty good. Uh, the one red light here in town happens to be the biggest or busiest red light East of Lexington, Kentucky. So if you're traveling East Kentucky, you pretty much go by my office.
1: Let's, let's just verify that. Cause I want to make sure I understood that right. Your office is in a town of 700 people. Is that right? That's it. Dude, that's gotta be like a record smallest town that holds a, p- a pediatric de- dentist. That's so funny. So tell me, um, obviously you're drawing from a p- pretty huge area. Tell me about like, I don't know anything about Eastern Kentucky. What's your, that whole area look like as far as like population where you're drawn from the type of demographic, what's all that look like?
0: Yeah, we draw from about an hour and a half radius, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, corner of Tennessee, and then basically the eastern third of the state. Uh, there's basically three of us here now, pretty much serve a two hour radius of pediatric dentist. When I opened up, there was just one other one active. So, and he retired. And I was the only one for a while. And then now we have two more. So uh, uh- <coughs> it worked out pretty well.
1: Yeah, are you by yourself, or have you brought in an associate in this big building now, or you got some help? It's just
0: me, a hygienist, and uh, a, a great staff. But if anybody would like to move to rural Kentucky, I'm always open.
1: <laughs> is there a is there a Starbucks and a Chick fil A in your town of 700?
0: Uh, you have to drive about eight miles to get to a Starbucks that happens to be in a grocery store. So it's there. Chick fil A is about. 20 miles at the local college, uh, another direction. So yeah, we, we figure we're driving two hours to go eat good or to shop.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: We do have Walmart though, so we're good. Yeah.
1: You guys are set. You know, I was just having this discussion with my, um, I just had my annual meeting with my, um, accountant slash financial advisor. Like, you know, your once a year meetup to go over all your taxes and numbers. And we were talking about, you know, when is the, the, with the typical lifespan of a, pediatric dentist, you know, when it, when it makes sense to, from a number standpoint to bring in an associate. So I guess as a guy that's been grinding and out for two plus decades, was there a point in time or has there been a point at your practice where you kind of reach capacity in your area and, you know, you booked out super far and, and it sounds like you're looking for an associate now, but <clears throat> like. I just, I, I'm kind of starting to reach that point in my practice where, you know, we're co- continually always booking out months. Our GAs booked out for months or, you know, everything's like seems to just book out more and more. I don't know if it reaches a point where eventually patients are just like, all right, I'm just screw it. I'm going to go elsewhere, but you know, <clears throat> which I'm sure happens, but I'm just curious, like what you, have you done any steps or taken any measures to keep up with demand or does it kind of seem to reach like an, like a, like a homeostasis point at some point or how does that work for you?
0: About year seven, I stopped taking Medicaid and that took care of that problem. Uh, So I, we've been pretty, pretty steady ever since, but yeah, I got to the point about year seven where I could work 24 hours, seven days a week. People were booked out forever and I felt like I wasn't giving the patients the best. So I actually stopped taking it. I didn't like being told how to do treatment also. So that mm-hmm. helped in my decision, but sure. yeah, stop taking Medicaid, uh,
1: made it a lot more flexible to do what I wanted. Sure. Well, let's, let's kind of transition into that. Tell me before, you know, we've got a whole conversation we're going to talk about with the clear liners, but tell me like uh, what your typical schedule looks like. You know, I don't know how many days you're working, but are you doing a lot of real heavy op stuff or is a lot of your day made up of a lot of clear liner and ortho work or like what, what's your kind of operative hygiene ortho type, uh, uh, ratio kind of look like throughout your day?
0: Um, I work Monday through Thursday, uh, pretty much there's always a Demerol sedation the first thing in the mornings. And then I try to do all my restorative, uh, before lunch, we take lunch from one to two. And then after lunch, I try to do all hygiene checks and ortho. Uh, so I keep it light after
1: lunch and can fit as many people as possible in during those times. Sure. Do you do uh, do you have any how does GA work in your is there a hospital that you have access to to take those kids to?
0: I actually I used to go to the hospital and then when I quit Medicaid, I quit having the need to go as often. But about a year ago, I started having one of the uh, anesthesia groups, Smile MD, coming into the office once a month. And That's been pretty nice. Yeah, uh, so they've been doing that a little over a year. So we do that once a month,
1: a uh, GA day in the office. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty slick. Definitely seems like that's the trend that a, a lot of guys are um <clears throat> are going towards. So, you're doing uh h- how many cases and how many how many days um, like do you have them coming in like once or twice a month? I and I'm I'm asking this question because I have a lot of people that drop Medicaid and say the exact same thing you said where I used to have to go Every single week or four or five, six times a month, and then if you drop Medicaid, all of a sudden that huge demand goes away, and people are going once or twice a month. but how often you are you taking kids now or doing g a now
0: yeah, I mean that's the same deal when i before I quit Medicaid I was going six times a month uh now I do it once a month once a month um, and that's in the office and i usually do six, and I usually do six cases a day mm. when they come in, and that's helped keep my sedation schedule from getting crazy far out
1: sure, sure, so um I guess we'll just dive in. Tell me about, um, you know, as far as the clear liner thing, I know we had kind of touched base and I, I think I was looking back and remembered seeing some info on you speaking because I think you said you normally speak at AAPD, but I I just wanted to learn more about like the background because obviously you're very, um, you're kind of a a go-to guy on a lot of this clear liner treatment and stuff, but have you been doing this for a long time or is this something you recently just really got invested and interested in?
0: Um, well, I've done ortho since day one and, um, since I got out and I started with clear liners. Well, when I say clear liners, I basically just do Invisalign Mm -hmm. probably 10, a little over 10 years ago, but I started doing the mixed dentition cases around 2018, 2019, and was really liking what I was seeing come out of it. And I'm kind of in a place being in a rural area, there's not a whole lot of people to talk to, and I couldn't really find many people talking about doing clear aligners and mixed dentition. Actually, I couldn't find anybody talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I decided in 2019 I was going to do a mini clinic at the AAPD, and then uh, when time for submission and all that in 2020 came around, COVID did too, so that kind of put it on the burner. Right. So this past summer I thought to to do it again, so I'm going to do a mini clinic at the AAPD, Uh, This year, it's going to be just an hour um, uh, early intervention of malocclusion with clear liners, And so I got that started last fall. Uh, And since then, I've had uh, a few more opportunities come out of it. Actually, uh, Invisalign has talked to me about becoming a speaker for them. So I'm going to look into that. And um, I've learned most of my ortho from Jerry Sampson at the Nathos uh, CE, and I've showed him some of my stuff, and we're going to do a class together in December in Atlanta, a day and a half. He's going to show mixed dentition fixed appliances, and I'm going to show uh, mixed dentition clear liner cases side by side for a day and a half, and talk about the differences and how to pull those off. So I've, it's just something I'm kind of passionate about. I just wanted to share it with somebody when I first started doing the mini clinic, and it's kind of got the ball rolling, and it's kind of snowballed
1: yeah it sounds like it, so I was just kind of thinking of some questions to uh to bounce off you during this. Is there any conflict with orthodontist around you i mean i've this town is seven hundred, so it's an interesting question. but are there orthodontists in your area that you can still refer to for you know maybe skeletal cases that you're not a good candidate for? Do you get any pushback from orthodontists? Has that ruffled any feathers or has it worked pretty well you know with uh the other professionals
0: when you know when I first started, you know 20 some years ago, there was one orthodontist that wasn't happy about it. We butted horns a little bit, but that blew over and the, there's a couple of others in our area and, uh, we get along pretty good. I really only refer a surgical case. Um, I pretty much do all my own except unless it's a surgical case. Wow. Um, wow.
1: I have people nearby if I need to, there's like 20 miles away. There's uh. that's interesting. Because one of my follow-up questions was what kind of um what kind of cases can you do in the in the obviously you're doing mixed dentition and permanent dentition. I mean, you'll just do a traditional invisalign on like a say you get like a class one mild crowding, low-hanging fruit type case of a teenage kiddo. I mean, those are kind of slam dunk cases. You do a lot of those as well.
0: Invisalign teens all day long on those. Yep.
1: Yep. Um Tell me, uh, I'm going to come back to that question before I forget, I wanted to talk about kind of like the initial investment and some of the startup costs I'm asking questions because I know next to nothing about using any sort of clear aligners. Um, and I don't do a lot of ortho in my practice, but it's, I, I like to pretend that I'm a student of our profession and that I like to keep expanding and learning and expanding skill sets here. So, um, if a guy like me says, you know, I've, I'm interested, I need to shake it up. I need, um. You know, something besides just doing class twos and extractions and things we do all day long. I'm I'm interested. I know you got to buy an Itero scanner, but what other, you know, if I ask what kind of startup costs are are involved, what's the barrier to entry with this? Like, what are some of the minimum things, time, investment, and pieces of equipment you need to kind of get going? As far as like, this is the equipment you need. This is the course I would recommend. This is kind of the, you know, probably what it will cost you um, to do to do a good job. What what are kind of the startup costs involved in this whole ordeal? The, the
0: biggest startup cost is education, making sure you're you know ready to do what you're planning on doing. And I think a lot of people, it depends on where they come out of their residency. Different people I've talked to, some come out, they've done a lot of cases, ready to go, not a big deal. Some come out of their residencies and have done almost anything and really don't know where to start. Uh, if you've come out of your residency that's done a lot, you're ready to if you're doing ortho, you're ready for Invisalign. You already know what to do. You're just changing the tool a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, if you didn't do much in your residency, I would, uh, you know, definitely invest in education first. Um, there's a few different places. You know, Invisalign has their introduction courses to get started, and they're starting on working on things just for pediatric dentists. Um, like I said, the CE with Jerry Sampson has an interceptive introduction class that's great to get started. There's some really good uh, AOS uh, classes to get started. If you haven't really done any cases and want to get comfortable, uh, I would spend some time there. Actually, I believe for doing Invisalign, though, the, the startup cost is your scanner is pretty much mainly it because you already have all the other supplies, which is basically resin to place attachments. Um, so there's, there's not a whole lot additional you do there. Uh, if you're doing traditional ortho, you know you need to, get a selection of band and brackets and wires and all that good stuff. I see a similarity in both. I know people who start ortho and then they get into it for about nine or 10 months and like get frustrated and just quit because one case goes bad or they get frustrated. If you just go through it, educate yourself. It comes like kind of like doing this pulp, and crown after a while, mm-hmm. um, but you get used to.
1: What uh do you know it's been a while probably since you bought a scanner maybe but do you know what the cost of like an iTero scanner like are we talking like 20 grand, 40 grand, 60 you know do you know what's the startup cost for a scanner
0: You know what I always see on those the price usually says around $50,000 and it seems like every year there's a special around $25,000 hmm. and so it seems like it's usually that and i find with the scanner you're probably about four year, every four to five years, replace about the time you get it paid off, you're replacing it, right? Um, but it's it's kind of one of those necessary things. But before scanners came out, I was doing digital models for my ortho models. So we were taking impressions, sending them to a company, they were scanning them, which happened to be the same company that Itero bought. So basically, my cost for digital models got replaced with a scanner fee. I mean, so the cost difference there didn't change a whole lot.
1: Uh, you know, Lee, I was hoping you could maybe touch on, you know, with the the cost and the payment and all that, kind of like the profit profitability of this. Um, do you know, is there a break-even point that you've kind of figured out? Because I don't know much about like how much this charges out for, what you kind of get per case. Is there a number of cases you would say, you know, if you're going to get into this, this is about the number of cases you you would probably set a goal for to treat if at X do, x number of dollars a case, if it's five grand a case, three grand a case, however much it is. If you can do three new cases, five new cases, 10 new cases a month, this is about where you kind of reach the break-even point that it's kind of worth your time and the cost of the scanner and things. I don't know if you kind of know those numbers off the cuff, but I'm just curious if there's like a number in your head that's a good goal to try to reach to make this worth your while.
0: Um that's a good question it's been so long since just i had initial goals to make it break even Uh, my goal right for years has been start 100 ortho cases and that's generally where i hover around every year and i will tell you that's about well i tell you it's exactly 33 percent of my collections every year is what i do in ortho uh so that's a pretty significant chunk of change quite honestly yeah and i don't understand uh so many pediatric dentists leaving a lot of easy, easy stuff there on the table. You know, one of the things I've been looking at is in our AAPD reference manual, the big purple Bible this year, you know, it talks about malocclusion and in one of our jobs it says is diagnosis and treatment of malocclusion. And then in parentheses as or refer, but <laughs> I think we all, if we finish a residency, we're all capable of doing it. We just got to decide if it's something we want to do. And when you start figuring out how much you refer out every year and seeing if you kept that in house, uh, it's a big chunk of change. And with insurance, there's no, uh, you know, even if you're doing your deltas or whatever, you don't have that 50% write off like you do with your crown or your MO or your DO. So you're keeping most of it. Uh, There is the lab fee, which scares a lot of people off, but quite honestly, it's so profitable. You just build that into it. I can, I can tell you, I'm looking, if I'm doing a full case of a teen case, I'm usually looking at around just under $6,000 is what I charge. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing a phase one case, it's around 3,800. And that way you're covering your fee, you're covering your time, you're covering your appointments and making it very profitable. Um, and that's one thing I found with him music The line was, less chair time because I see them about over six weeks or eight weeks compared to four weeks. And the chair time is almost nothing when they're for a liner check. So we can do dozens of a liner checks every evening. Uh, so, and that's not a big deal to do. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty, uh, for a busy pedo practice, it's not hard to fit that in.
1: Do uh do you know you had touched on the insurance thing? That's another thing I don't know anything about. So I, I'm going to ask you: Is if uh say you're in network or in network with Delta Delta patient you tell them about Invisalign you can offer and they're interested. Is, is that something you have to submit like a, you know, like an ortho code, like comprehensive orthodontic treatment and then Delta pays a percentage of it or is it pretty much just like a set agreed upon fee that they pay a hundred, that the patient is a hundred percent responsible for and then you sometimes put them on a payment plan or they pay in full? How does that work?
0: Almost every insurance has a lifetime maximum for ortho. It's $1,000 or a few will have a lifetime maximum of $1,500. So that's pretty much what the insurance is going to pay. So you work up the payments with the parent for the remainder. Okay. Um, there's a few that started trying to put in a cap for ortho. But if you're doing aligners, they allow you to build into the lab fee for the cost of manufacturing the aligners. So uh, you can basically charge your normal fees.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, I apologize for asking a lot of, you know, money and insurance questions related to this, but I know, I mean, you and I know as practice owners, like, you know, you got to kind of do your homework from a dollars and cents standpoint when you're going to make an investment in something like this. And you make a pretty uh, compelling sales point that it seems like it can be lucrative and worth your time if you get good at it and be efficient at it for sure.
0: It's real life. I mean, that's what we talk about numbers for. I mean, in theory, we can talk about what we want, but if you're running your day-to-day practice... You got to know the numbers. I know Mm -hmm. you like to, you're a numbers guy. I've seen enough podcasts. And I want to tell you, I appreciate your show. Uh, You know, I found you, I guess, summer before last while I was hiking. So you've been my hiking buddy a lot and haven't known it, but I appreciate it.
1: (laughs) It's cool, man. I appreciate that. Um, Okay, let's see. Uh, So you were talking about chair time here. Tell me about like, Uh, Again, knowing nothing about Invisalign, we're going to dive into it, but like, how do those appointments, I almost need to get Invisalign for my orthodontist friends, just so I know how it works. But, um, when a typical kid is going through their aligners, you said it's every eight weeks they come in. Do you just have a new, um, clear tray ready to deliver and you just pop it in and make sure it fits and see how things are doing, make a few notes and away we go. Or like, what do those appointments look like when those kids come in?
0: They're super quick with, you With Invisalign, you get however many trays it is. They're all in an individual baggie. With their name on it, the number, you write the date for them to change it. So I'll give them six to eight weeks' worth at a time. They come in at six weeks. If the tray's fitting good, they get the next one. They get the next six, and they're out the door. uh, After a couple of good appointments, And then I'm giving them eight because I can trust them more. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some I'll give ten every ten weeks just because I know they're just going to wear them as long as they're wearing them, it does great.
1: Well, um, maybe, maybe I could, uh, walk listeners through this, like starting from the beginning. Um, <clears throat> let's say you're going to start, uh, you're starting a, a case. Um, and we'll, maybe we'll, I want to save the mixed dentition cases for a little bit, just because I know so little about Invisalign. So let's say you're doing just adult permanent dentition teenage ortho the case that we were just talking about what is the what does the process look like for an invisalign case you have that discussion parents are interested in um in doing invisalign all the dollars and cents stuff's dialed in like they're ready to go how um like you do you do do like a diagnostic workup where you take an initial scan um take photos you know traditional records is kind of the gold standard get a cef and all that and then do you just scan and send that to itero or you've got like a software and it kind of designs all the trays for you and tells you about where to bond the resin buttons and things that's kind of where my knowledge gets sort of hazy after you kind of do a records workup so just walk me through a traditional series of steps in a treatment planning process there it
0: starts long before that i will tell you starting to do an ortho case starts when you're doing every examination from when they're young You know if you see a mesial step distal step you see crowding you don't see primary space you start telling the parents hey we see this this is going to happen in the future i'll let you know when we're ready to start and every recall you just kind of let them know what's going on so when they're ready the parents ready you're not having to sell them anything they know what's going on when you tell them hey that number six is going to come out to the face a little bit don't worry we'll fix it when it comes in you look like a genius because you've predicted what's going to happen Mm -hmm. and then when they're ready, they look at you and you're they're ready. So what we'll do is when they're ready to start, it's usually at a recall appointment. We'll scan them. We'll show the parents the scan of their mouth. Uh, you can do a simulation where you can show them what it looks like with its fixed. And if they're ready to begin treatment, we'll go ahead and do records that day. Uh, so I'm doing all the pan and stuff and photos. I do full records on everyone. Uh, I figure I've thought from day one being a pediatric dentist, I need to be compared to the orthodontist standard. Uh, so we do full records and then i have them come back for a treatment plan where i'll usually have a on invisalign they have what's called the clean check which kind of shows basically each step of what the tooth moves you can kind of show them every little movement that the tooth does and when i submit that to invisalign they will send back a plan and then you can tweak it change it do whatever you want and you can specify into the instructions for them to set it up whatever your basic prescription is so i have a basic prescription that they know that what i want on most all my cases and they send it to me and then i tweak it to get it exactly like i like and then when the parent pays the down payment i hit order and then we get the trays in about two weeks and say if it's a teen case and it's 30 trays you get all 30 trays oh okay and so we'll uh we'll have all 30 trays and first appointment you're attaching you're putting attachments on uh quite honestly um my staff does that uh the assistants say if they can do resins they can do these quite honestly easy mm-hmm. so they put on the attachments we fit the first tray we go over all the instructions with them and give them the first six weeks worth to go home and then after that it's pretty easy after that um, and that's how it works. And then.
1: Do the uh, do, with as far as the resin attachments? Does the software tell you where to put those resin attachments on certain teeth to kind of get the most movement, or is that something you sort of dictate? Does every tooth need one? I don't know a lot about those resin attachments. Those
0: ta- those attachments, if you don't have instructions or you're kind of pretty new to it, they will always put on what they feel is best or what the, what the software would tell you is best. Uh, if you've been doing it for a while, then you will set up what you know you like and they will put them on for you that way but also when you get the first back you can change it live however you want so i will usually mess around and change everything the way i like it before we order it and um they they basically give you a lot more control of the tooth so you know if it's a it's a physics thing so if you you can't change where the tooth is but if you change the size or the shape of the tooth you can change where you're pushing so with Invisalign, you can put attachment on and push a little more precise instead of pulling with a wire.
1: I see. Uh, okay. Um, uh, what did I write? Oh, do, are there ever cases where you have to use, like, uh, is there are there cases that Invisalign struggles to be efficient with? Like, you know, there's certain cases that are maybe really easy for Invisalign. If it's just some minor crowding, class one cases, does Invisalign have a, a harder time Working compared to um traditional abandoned bracket ortho for like say certain skeletal class two, class three skeletal occlusions, certain ectopic cases, um, ectopic sixes, um, maybe like impacted canines, if you, you know, traditionally would bond a gold chain and pull something down. Um, I just are there cases that work well and cases that are that take a little bit longer to get good results.
0: Absolutely. Um what I think I have found out is I will do about 98% of what I can do traditionally with Invisalign. And basically the ones you can't do are those like where you need a chain to pull down a canine, something like that. You need something to fix to But class, I, class twos, i I've Invisalign hasn't worked out. That's one thing I give them credit for is the way they've changed. Because when I first started, uh, they weren't very good at scale things. But really, the Class 2s, they have bumped it up, and there's a couple different ways you can fix those. Sometimes I think it's quicker than traditional braces. Uh, Class 3s, they just suck no matter what you're doing them on. They're just usually the hardest no matter what. Uh And um, there may be a time or two I wish I'd have probably gone traditional with Class 3s, and still most of the time it's one of those that just doesn't cooperate well. So I have a class three that comes in. I think, man, it's just not getting like I would like. Then I have one come in and braces and it's not getting it either because the kid's not wearing the rubber band. So uh, it's about cooperation, whichever way you go. Um, uh, You know, I'll I'll uh, piggyback on that. I love that. There's some orthodontists that will say, oh, that case isn't a good case for Invisalign. Uh, That's just because they don't do them. Uh, You know, I've seen some offices advertising do Invisalign but never do Invisalign. They tell every single patient that, oh, well, you're you're not just a good case for it, so we'll do you regular. And they don't do anybody Invisalign. It's just because they just don't want to do them Invisalign. But really, I I think you can do almost, almost, not everything, but almost everything uh, with Invisalign that you could with traditional band of bracket.
1: uh, And that's helpful. I remember I found the question that I was looking for in my little sheet in my chicken scratch here do you still find yourself doing premolar extractions in crowded cases? Like, will the software help kind of determine like a two size arch length discrepancy of sorts and tell you this is going to be hard to make room for. And then you can kind of determine, is this an extraction case or is it good enough where you rarely have to do that? Like how often are you having to do extractions on these permanent cases? Uh,
0: My extraction probably from the get go has always probably been around 10 to 15%. Uh, I try to save teeth when I can, but sometimes you just can't. I'd never left the, never let the software determine that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's going to be extraction case, I know it and that's how I send it to them. Now, one advantage is if you got one that's right on the fence and thinking, mm, can I pull this off extraction or not? You can actually send a scan before any extractions are done and run a simulation with keeping all the teeth and then run another one with extracting the teeth and see how it looks and see which one yeah. you like best, but that's uh, awesome. Not, I pretty much always
1: know if I'm gonna do extraction before I even send it to them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you can kind of show parents two different scenarios because sometimes, you know, it's maybe I would imagine you're kind of on the fence where you could do an extraction case and then this is what the result would look like. And then, you know, you could show the parents that want to be conservative and not pull teeth. You can kind of give them both the options. They can kind of see what the final result looks like. But it's pretty amazing what you know, obviously I'm I'm talking to somebody who knows this but it's it seems like this software the more you talk to me about it just seems like it's just this ultra intelligent like crazy advanced software that can do so many things like it's it's, I suddenly feel like we're very much living in the future that it can do all these things for you that's pretty awesome
0: I when I when I'm giving a presentation to a parent I'm still giving them the option of traditional or Invisalign pretty much every time and i tell the kid I said Invisalign's like that iPhone 14 you have there and in traditional is like this phone that's tethered to the wall. They both work really good, but one's got a lot of advantages over the other one.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, let's kind of shift back to a question I jumped ahead to earlier was the uh, the mixed dentition stuff. Um, I was going to try to think of some of the common uh, malocclusions and you know early mixed dentition problems and things that we see, and maybe how you've started using uh Invisalign to do it because it sounds like from what you've said, obviously Invisalign's been around and established for the adult stuff, permanent dentition, but maybe that's still a developing field by using it for these early interceptive ortho cases. So um I was hoping maybe you could speak obviously how do I phase this as a question? You know, I'm thinking about the typical things that get kids uh in phase one treatment, you know, the posterior crossbite being a huge one, anterior single tooth crossbite, you know, number eights in crossbite, uh, impacted canines. Topic sixes, um, you know, or maybe not even a crossbite, but a kid that had a thumb habit with a lot of overjet and flaring. Um, maybe walk me through some of these common ones you're seeing, some of these common cases, and what that looks like using Invisalign instead of a traditional expander and traditional phase one.
0: You know, for me, um, most phase one cases either need expansion. Or some distalization usually. So, usually, expansion either really crowded, you know, not room for canines, uh, maybe space loss or distalization because they're class two or had early loss of A's because of ectopic eruption, um, anterior and posterior cross bites. Um, Those, you know, those are probably your most common. And always use some kind of appliance with two by fours when I was doing those. So, Mm -hmm. it was usually my quality quad expander was my go-to most of the time uh rps less still use them some but not as much and then a distal jet to get distalization is what i use a lot and then kind of a spring and coals on the lower where you've lost space and i can do all those without any fixed within without any appliances or springs or appliances in the mouth it's pretty nice you can get expansion with it you can get distalization distalization of the molars is one of my favorite uh, starting that on a eight year old, it's class two and you can get those distalized it always just creates more room for those canines to come in. So by the time they're got all their permanent teeth in, it's a pretty easy phase two to fix up.
1: Hmm. What about, uh, uh, if you have, I I'm sorry for interrupting. If you have a kid that you extracted K on say, uh, due to caries when they were, or, you know, you had to extract some permanent teeth on, maybe you had to extract K, uh, K and L. And um, you couldn't put a lower lingual holding arch in or something, so that six-year molar comes in really tilted, and then the premolars blocked out. Are those fairly straightforward cases? Like you kind of do? You, do you are those tough ones? Because I still feel like I lose sleep when I know there's not a lot you can do, and this kid's going to have space loss, and I feel like I'm setting this kid up for terrible ortho work down the road. But maybe that's remedied with Invisalign to some degree.
0: I, I've been doing some of those that I'm really happy with. You know, your, your appliance options on those situations previously was just, you know, some kind of, you know, lingual arch that you've come up with on your own with springs attached to it uh, to get things uprighted or tilted back in. And you can do this with Invisalign, and it's actually pretty sweet uh, because you're not all the bulky springs and stuff, and it works pretty well. And the I find the younger they are, it seems like the better they work, the better it works i've always thought that with ortho anyway uh, whether it's traditional or invisalign but um i have a good case of ectopic is my daughter has ectopic uh number 18 and those are just never fun to fix so i basically came up with the ideal to add my own button before i scanned her to get the pressure where i wanted and it pushed that sucker right up exactly where i wanted it and i was like that was pretty sweet. <laughs> wow. uh, before that would have been some kind of weird attachment and or twisting a brass wire or you know, a halterman hook on the back. None of those are fun. And it, there's some pretty good alternatives. You can be pretty creative with it, actually. And that's one of the things I really like about it. You know, that's one of the things I like about Ortho in general is you kind of get burned out after a while of MODOs, pulps and crowns. Um, we do it. That's part of our job, and that's what we do, but If that's all you do, you kind of get in a rut sometimes. And it keeps my ortho keeps my juices flowing about wanting to stay in work. Uh, You know, there's times I think I wish I could never do another knee to knee on a three year old exam, but I could, I think I could do ortho until I die uh, just because it involves some thinking and uh, people tend to appreciate it more. Nobody's looking, coming to you looking for a crown or a feeling, but when they get straight teeth, parents are a lot more happier.
1: Yeah for and sure. Uh, to pay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing uh, that's, it's such a funny point that gets your juices flowing. Like I don't publicly tell pediatric dentists, I know this very often, but I silently observe all the time. Exactly what you just said, where you, you find pediatric dentists that's maybe hits their forties. They've been doing this game now for 10, 12, 15 years, and they just get really kind of burnt out doing the same five procedures over and over again. And whether it's, um, you know, tethered oral tissue, like tongue and lip tie therapy, and they buy a laser or a hard tissue laser, they start doing a lot of ortho, you know, it seems like it's almost like a not a midlife crisis, but a mid career shift. And like, I just got to find something new to kind of expand my skills and keep it interesting so you don't get burnout. But you, you see that really, really common. And, um, and it's just kind of, it's kind of interesting to see what, what, what it is that gets a pediatric dentist, you know, some of them get more into like some cosmetic stuff, which I'm kind of interested in. But, uh, anyways, related to that point, the other thing I wanted to ask is, can you use this iTero scanner to take scans, to do like lower lingual holding arches and space maintainers and things, or do you still do traditional like alginate impressions and send to a lab or solder them or anything like that?
0: We, we scan for almost everything. Um, our lab we use, they take, most labs take digital scans now. So yeah, lower lingual arches, even if I'm doing a, a quad even a. You can even get an RPE scanned. It's crazy. Wow. Um, about the only time I use an impression is if I have a patient that wants a um a bleaching tray. that's uh, about the only impressions we take uh, because it's still just so cheap to make those in the office. Yep. But um, yeah, most, most everything's scanned and you know, I don't do very many, like probably like most of us, but occasionally you'll have a, a an older kid that, needs a crown on, you know, 19 or something, do a crown prep, scan it. It's back in the office in about three days to get, you know, a zirconium crown or whatever. Uh, it's handy. I don't use a lot, but it's handy. Now, one thing I did start with this year is our state passed um, basically general supervision law for hygienists. So the doctor doesn't have to be in the office if they've been seen with if the patient's been seen by the doctor within six months. So I've messed around a few times this year with my hygienist and staff in. And so what I'm doing is having them scan the patient. Uh, So when I get back to the office, I'm looking at their x-rays and I'm looking at the scan. It's almost just like an oral exam. And it's a, it's pretty handy.
1: Mm. Um, You know, again, this is funny. You just brought this up because I've, I've had a couple conversations the last little bit on, on scanning being um, a lot more commonplace in pediatric dentistry. Like I had... Gerardo um Hidalgo Martinez on the podcast a few episodes ago and he talked about buying a Medit scanner. And since that episode, he's just like this chatty guy and really sold it and like was really fired up about it. So he kind of got me interested and I've been asking around. But I love the concept of there's so many times where I have to get creative with these big treatment plans, especially because I see a lot of Medicaid. But if I'm trying to do, so you got a cooperative eight-year-old and you're extracting in pulps and crowns and it's a big full overhaul. Well, then you're trying to figure out how to fit bands at one of, you know, the first op and then take the impression. And then maybe you finish up the second op and you got to time it with getting the appliance delivered. I love the idea of having a scanner. And at that very first treatment planning visit, you take the extra three minutes to have the assistant run over a scanner, scan their mouth. That way the appliance is like, they're ready to be delivered at that first op if you want it. Cause then it seems like a lot of times you extract a tooth and take the impression. And then by the time. You know when you're busy like guys like you and i are you bring the kid back for their second op you know four or five eight weeks later and you try to deliver that lower lingual and maybe you say you're extracting k at one appointment and t at the other appointment when you go to deliver it the 19 where you extracted k is already tipped forward and that spacer doesn't fit all that well so it just seems like you know maybe it doesn't maybe you don't do a million Visline cases but even just having a scanner around maybe it doesn't make you a ton of money but it seems like it just be a really efficient thing to have, let alone like, um, I was talking to Cyrus from a, a pediatric dentist from Massachusetts, who's big into scanning. He just showed me, got a scanner. Just like you said, he had a, a teenage kid Mountain Dew, you know, six through 11 wow. were all bound out. He scanned them, send it off to the lab. Like, I mean, it gets into the realm of general dentistry, but he's like, dude, it was so easy. And it was this great looking case and it was really profitable. And I'm starting to get a little bit of FOMO that I don't have a scanner. So it's officially like I don't know what kind yet, but like it's on, it's on the list in my uh, immediate future. I'm interested.
0: I don't know. Do you, do you ever remember the carries
1: view when it came out? Uh, I do remember. I used one, but I remember the
0: little. The scanners have that set up too. You can change the mode on what you're looking at and it turns into that. So you can actually identify carries with it in a proximal. Um, It's, it's actually pretty, pretty handy. And that wasn't something I had got it for, but that's something I've been, Using it since I've been doing this general supervision days, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of handy. So it's like you're doing an exam; you can do like your carriage view if you don't have X-rays. It's um, and actually the what you just said the guy was talking about. I've had a ton of these teenagers since COVID. You know, 11 Bom- decal bombed out, and uh, we're going, we're starting to scan them and show the parents. Like, you know, we all got to get on board here. Just let them see it. I have about a 40 inch monitor where I do my consults. So when they see that at that size, it's kind of like, okay. hmm Yeah.
1: Um, so Lee, you're going to be at AAPD in uh, uh, May this year. I'm having a baby that week, which I haven't actually, I don't think I formally announced on the podcast. I'm going to do an episode like, parents in uh, dentistry but my wife and I are having a little girl our first kid in the uh, end of May so this is my first AAPD in a few years I'm bummed because I wanted to go to SeaWorld and have a party out there and do some podcasting but uh haven't haven't we've been you know trying to start a family for a while so we're kind of excited to start a baby in the meantime so I won't be able to catch you out at APD but I wish I could come come to your mini clinic that'd be pretty cool to check out congratulations
0: on the kid. I always went to the APD until we started having kids too. And then it slowed down a lot, but my youngest is in college this year. So I'm finding myself, I've done more CE classes this year already (laughs) than
1: I've done in a while. That's cool. So what kind of stuff at, uh, at the, at the mini clinic? I mean, those, what are those? I get all these mixed up. Is that like 15, 20 minute little power sessions, aren't they?
0: These are, these are 50 minute, uh, you know, almost an hour, 50 minute presentation, 10 minute questions. I got Saturday at eight 30. So if somebody wants to see it, they're really going to want to see it because it's an eight thirty in the morning. Uh, but yeah, I'm kind of excited. Just want to talk about doing mixed dentition with clear liners and just kind of, you know, throwing out what I'm jammed up about is, you know, what excites me and see if anybody else is interested, trying to find a tribe of people doing the same thing so we can get together. And, uh, I may be, it looks like it's possibly in the works later that day, about one o'clock, I may be doing a spotlight session for Invisalign that day. Actually, I don't know, we were in the talks about that a little bit. We haven't worked that out yet. Mm -hmm. So I may be doing another one on Saturday. Also, it's talking about the flow of uh, Invisalign patient in a busy pedo office. So Mm -hmm. that may work out also.
1: Yeah. I think that would be interesting, you know, and that's, uh, it goes back to me asking all these questions right off the bat, but it seems like, especially practice owners, you know, it it maybe speaks to younger pediatric dentists that own practices, but, um, you know, efficiency and, and dollars and cents and that sort of thing talks. And I, I, mean, guys like myself, like hearing the, um, you know, how you can apply some of these new technologies and cool things and how, you know, how you can actually make them a profitable integral part of your practice. So. Like to your point, that's a topic I think would be really well received, especially like if I was there, I'd definitely be interested in, um, hearing, hearing more about that. So, um, is there, is there anything else in, as, you know, as we kind of wrap up that we didn't, you know, really cover, I kind of just went off the cuff here, just asking questions as they popped into my head. But, uh, I feel like we did, we did pretty good justice to, to the topic, but any like final remarks, anything I missed as far as like, you know, I think I'm going to title this podcast, should pediatric dentists be you know, doing Invisalign or clear to get a real catchy, uh, tagline with the answer being like, yes, I think they should be, but anything I didn't cover in, uh, in our discussion or things that you think would be important for new providers to know that are maybe interested in doing this?
0: You know, just for my you know passion on this is when ga- when you're getting out, these guys and gals don't listen to the speech of, oh, you're, you don't have time to do ortho. Don't even bother to learn it. You're going to be too busy. Uh, because you're missing out on a complete comprehensive care of the child. When you do that, you're saying, Oh, I'm not going to do anything but feelings and feelings and feelings. And you know, part of us as a pediatric dentist is be a comprehensive home for the child. And I think that includes doing everything or at least most everything that we can. And I do believe that pediatric dentists should be the experts in oral facial development in children. And as the experts, I think that means we should also be prepared to treat them instead of referring everything. Um, And I know everybody's not going to do it, but I think so much, you know, a couple of meetings I've been to this year already, I've talked to some residents It's interesting. They're already hearing from uh, the DSOs. Oh, you don't want to have that. You don't have time. You don't have to take that home. Or we're not going to buy you a scanner. We're not going to, I'm like, They don't want you to do it. They want you to sit there and churn it out restorative all day long uh, because that's where they're making their money. Um, And they also own an ortho office they got over here. So they don't really want you to (laughs) do their ortho. So, you know, it's kind of interesting 20 some years out talking to the young people getting out the mindset, you know, just like you talked about from the get go, not wanting to start their own practice. And I understand that the student loan debt's a huge issue in stopping it, but I think there's plenty of, pediatric dental offices out there that would be willing to bring somebody on and work things out, teach them what to do, teach them how to do ortho, teach them the sedation technique that they didn't learn in their residency. Um, so I, I think there's, uh needs to be a lot more open mind to what we're doing now. It seems like everybody that's getting out already knows what they're going to do and why they're doing
1: it and what they can't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that too. And it's, to your point, it's amazing. The number of, um, dentists vary in a boat similar to your, to your own where it's like, well, I need an assistant. Like there's a lot of really good associateships with mentorship, trying to, you know, bring on a, a young associate, but a lot of times the good offices are not in, you know, like easy to get to areas or they're in a town of 700 and it's hard, you know, a lot of younger pediatric dentists want to be in the big city and they're, I don't know. I'm opening up a whole can of worms. Everybody knows my opinions and I'm passionate about <laughs> and
0: I, I'm I'm I You're very similar. Um and I, I know you've had cane waters on before. Yeah. They're they're my account from the get go. I don't know if that's who you use, but you've had them on. They've been mm-hmm. helpful. Um I noticed, you know, we talked about the or I messaged you about the elk hunting trip. I found that pretty interesting. We got a elk herd and uh I can't get drawn for some reason. Bad luck. And I saw where recently where he was gone to Turks and Caicos. Uh, That's mine and my wife's favorite place. When we hit 25 anniversary, we started going there uh, without kids. So uh, that's my favorite place to scuba dive. So
1: I think we probably think a lot. (laughs) I I think we got a lot in common here, Lee. Yeah. Yeah. I went went snorkeling out when we were there and my wife's obviously quite pregnant. So she sat on the boat, but uh, I saw my first shark while like a reef, big reef shark while I was Snorkeling is beautiful, baby powder sand, man. That place is great. It was a really nice few days away from the office, so that's therapeutic. It's a cool place.
0: That's why so, I like to scuba dive there. I see a shark probably 70% of the time I get in the water there, and that, that's pretty awesome. That's cool.
1: Well, Lee, uh, if anybody, you know, you kind of gave a plug for you're going to be talking at AAPD, but if anybody before then wants more info about what you're talking about, maybe wants, uh, if you're willing, like help, say somebody reaches out, wants some help getting set up with uh, getting clear, you know, clear liners and Invisalign in their office. Is there a good way to get in, in touch with you or if you're willing to help out like somebody younger wanting to get to get going on that? What's a good way to get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, I, I, I really love doing that. I've had a just since I've kind of got into this, I've had a few people call and email and we've talked through some things. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, just Lee Boyd or my office Facebook. Uh, Dr. Lee Boyd Pediatric Dentistry. Um, my email is mlboyd, B-O-Y-D, at com, which tells you how old I am because that's an old Apple email address there. Um, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. Um, like I said, if you're at the Academy, come see me on Saturday morning. I, I would love to see any faces that are interested in that and inter- introduce yourself to me. And then, like I said, um, in December, I'm going to be doing the class with Jerry Sampson where we're do- comparing fixed and uh, Invisalign cases side by side. Uh, so that's, a, that's going to be, pre- I'm pretty excited about that. I will tell you, you talked about investments earlier. There's two, two big investments, I think, in my career. One, we started with Kane waters early, which has been helping. two was my education in Nathos, uh, continuing education. Those are probably the two biggest investments I've done in my practice that's paid off in the long run that I would have done again in a heartbeat. Um, it's changed basically the way I've been able to do everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, we could uh we could have a, I'm going to table this one for a later time, but you know, having just gotten back from, I, I don't use cane waters, but I, I, I like them and I think they do good work. I use um, similar account and similar um, principles, but we could have a whole conversation about the importance of a good accountant and a good financial advisor and having a plan and tax strategies and all that. And I'm, I'm, so that's, we're going to table that for discussion round two, you know, at a later point in time, but that's uh, you know, I like talking the business side of things. So that's something we could chat about at another podcast for another day. Cool. Cool. Lee, have a good night. I appreciate you coming on and uh, it may not, may not be this APD. It might be uh, an Elcon or it might be sometime, but we'll get together in person and make it happen sometime. All right. Hey, I appreciate it. Can't wait to meet you in person. Appreciate the opportunity. Have a good one. We'll see you. All
0: right. All right. Yep. Thanks for listening to the bruise and tiny teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host Casey Getz on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.